Welcome to a new season of EdTech Tuesdays. My name is Eva Hotmacher. Meet Thomas Lone from Norway in this episode. He is a motivational speaker and adventurer. In this conversation, we speak about risk versus fear and comfort zones. What questions have people and organizations forgotten to ask? Are we living our purpose, missions and goals? Välkommen till EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd om innovation, lärandekultur och teknologier för lärande. I samtalar med svenska och internationella innovatörer, investerare, thinkers och doers som utmanar status quo. Podden produceras av Snabbfoting, en ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. What makes you scared? Oh, that's that's a good one, actually. Um, I I do corporate speaking as a living, as you know. So I have um, I have a colleague of mine who he he almost kind of mocks me because he went on stage after me after I talk about you know doing extreme sports and paragliding and a lot of risky activities, and then he would just say, uh, you know, uh, Thomas here is not really pushing his comfort zone because even though he's flying his paraglider, he's not really scared. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of uh, what what you need in order to be outside your comfort zone, but. Um, I guess what scares me is, um, everybody has, you know, some trigger points that will push you outside your comfort zone. And, um, and for me, like, I guess for most people is, is probably my, my weaknesses, you know, it can be more emotional things like, uh, for example, um, thinking about the future, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ahead, uh i'm now 28 years old how should i structure my life and these kind of you know giant questions about how to prioritize time to both become a better human but also be better for the people around me and and try to push society in some direction eventually maybe you know and influence people that way that is uh that is the big questions that can can scare me a lot you know in my daily life even doing extreme sports and stuff i find it more almost natural because i uh, i get so uh, i get such a high reward doing these kind of activities mm, interesting and um what is fear i guess for me at least fear is is the feeling of not only uncertainty but uncertainty that may lead to a negative outcome for you so uh, my my corporate speaking colleague he's not entirely accurate when he says that I don't uh, get afraid doing paragliding because of course if you if you do a mistake um, you can crash and you can die and you can injure yourself badly so uh, so obviously uh, whenever I do that or I uh, I live here in Hemsedal actually the the place started. Uh, it was hosted here so so i do a bunch of skiing you know i, I love being outside and then you have some risk attached to that for sure which can make me afraid but uh, i guess now in the way society has formed the last centuries i guess whenever you encounter some uncertainty about the future that may go negatively for you and for most people that is not like the physical risk aspect of you know breaking a leg it's more um your relationship um divorcing your your spouse uh, making your 
children not being able to get the the upbringing you want them to have um daring to move to a new country for a new job and taking a risk on that and it all turning out to be a giant mistake either for you or for your entire family or you know put them in a situation like that i guess that is fair the the feeling of having that you can almost feel it in your your gut you know the i find it very close to the feeling of being just uncomfortable being outside your comfort zone when when your cells in your stomach is trying to tell you this is a bad idea, you shouldn't go for it. That's that's fair. Yeah, and yeah, if if we connect to risk versus fear, we we often equate scary things to dangerous things, but uh, they're not necessarily the same. Um, so, if we dig deeper to uh, um, fears versus risks in your activities uh, can you tell me more about that yeah 100 percent. because um for me risk is a, a completely different word uh, than fair because whenever i have risk i think of uncertainty not for a bad outcome but uncertainty in general and what i find the more i do uh the, the more the more life experience i get uh the more i find that uncertainty almost always will be uh, attached both to possible positive or possible negative outcomes so you you really can't have it both ways uh, if you want success if you want something good to happen uh, you have to accept negative consequences occasionally at least and you have to kind of mitigate those and of course try to manage that and manage your risk uh, but what I always find you, you can't do both. If you want to be a great athlete, you have to athlete, you have to risk getting injured. If you want to be a great entrepreneur, you have to risk, uh, actually going bankrupt. You don't know, going all the way or, uh, or at least financially ruining yourself maybe because, uh, maybe the, the difference between your company making it or not is for your investors to see if you, if you mortgage your house and just go all in on it. So, um, so whenever I try to to think of risk, I try to balance the upside versus the downside. And being an engineer, you know, I'm I'm, I'm nerdy with math. I love numbers, so <laughs> I always try to to estimate the probability of both positive and negative outcomes. And then I try to find uh, what every uh, every person loving statistics would call the expected value, right? The what what you can expect to to have as a return on your decision or call it your investment or whatever. Mm. And as long as that is, I have kind of two criteria that of obviously the expected value needs to be positive. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to do it. I would rather just stay at home. Um, in other words, so the the expected value of me going paragliding, the the scenic experience of it all, and the feeling of accomplishment afterwards. It needs to be greater than the the chance of of actually having you know a bad experience and an injury, obviously. But also, um, I need some threshold criteria on the worst case scenario, like the the mm-hmm. worst thing that can possibly happen. Yeah. So for example, if uh, and it's difficult because even if you just drive your car to work, you know the the worst outcome is a fatal a fatal accident. You can you can be hit hit by a, a truck on your way to work. So um, so it's more a threshold uh, in terms of probability for me there. 
Um, and I climbed a bunch of high mountains as well. I have been to Mount Everest, but I've never uh, attempted K2 in, in Pakistan, which is far more dangerous when you look at statistics. Um, and for me, it's like the, the reward is uh, obviously not for everybody, but for me, the reward is enormous. Uh, <laughs> but you can easily compare the reward of doing a climb like Everest with K2. But when you try to compare the the worst case scenario, K2 is so much more dangerous. So then for me, it doesn't simply doesn't make sense. Wow. <laughs> so you are like a static, uh, static, you do, so you do lots of statistics and uh, yeah, measure risks when you do your expeditions and climb uh, mountains. I try to do so. I at least I do believe that if you have, if you you can't really um, you can't enhance something you can't measure, right? Yeah. I mean, let's say let's say you're overweight and you want to lose fat, body fat. If you don't even want to acknowledge that you are fat, <laughs> yeah. you can't begin the process, right? So, no. so I do think it's important if you whatever you want to do. In terms of risk in your life, for me, it's a lot of physical risk. But for for most entrepreneurs, it's a lot of uh, a lot of financial risk, mm. and and the risk of uh, let's call it you know waste your resources and and hours, etc. Um, you at least need to to try to measure the risk you're taking because then it's much easier to start to mitigate things, you know, to change and advance things. Mm. So even though I have to admit, whenever I try to do a very like uh, uh, science-based uh, estimate of my climbing risk on Everest, it's it's very difficult, obviously. I mean, yeah. I couldn't tell you if it's like 1% chance uh, I don't come home or it, if it's just uh, one-tenth of a, a percent chance I don't come home to Norway again. It's impossible. But the most important thing is that uh, I use the method of breaking down the entire problem. I look at avalanche. That's one thing. You know, you could get hit by an avalanche. And I look at the the crevasses on the glacier we're crossing. With we, we use these ladders. The Sherpa help us to to make the ladders and the icefall, the icefall doctors. And we cross the these giant crevasses, which you could fall obviously down into. And then when you address all these problems, it's so much easier to focus on one problem at a time and like. You know, this ladder it should probably not be made of bamboo sticks. You know, mm. you should have mm. some aluminum ladders, uh, which they changed in, you know, 60s or 70s or something. And then slowly but surely, if you address all these tiny things, you will start to really decrease your risk. Mm. But in my mind, the reward doesn't have to shrink. It can be even greater. You know, you can just have a more beautiful experience, less pain, mm. um, more strength, energy, and and the view from the summit is still as beautiful, you know, but you haven't mm. mitigated much of the, the risk aspect. I think we can use a lot of this that you describe in, yeah, as you said, in the entrepreneurship, uh, in organizations, take this mindset and risk calculations uh, and, yeah, use it. Uh, um, is... If, if we go back to the fear again, uh, risk, risk is so important here, but, but if we go back to the fear, is that like a skill we can develop? Um, if you ask me 100%, I would say yes. 
100%. Push your limits and develop your fear. <laughs> yeah, because uh, in a sense, let, so uh, let's say like um, this is an interesting uh, experiment. So yeah, if you have I love some, experiments. Yeah. If you have a, a decision you want to make and let's say you use this framework. So we now try to imagine all the positive things, the outcomes. We look at all the risks and the negative outcomes. We try to estimate some probabilities, blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe we even address some of the negative outcomes so we can even change the probabilities, like, you know, mm. changing the ladder, uh, yeah. finding an even better investor, um, producing your product in China instead of in Europe, wh whatever it needs to be. And then you look at kind of the, the big picture of things. The reward is net positive. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the expected value of, of starting the business, to put it that way, has a positive return on average. Mm -hmm. But of course, obviously, you have no guarantee that it will succeed. Um, and you can live with yourself if it's a total failure. So you have kind of, you have mitigated the, the worst uh, negative outcomes so you you're not risking like total financial personal bankruptcy you you won't have to sell your house and your kids have to live in a in a <laughs> on the streets right so <laughs> i think the, 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 the owners don't like the idea to yeah lose yeah, every money no exactly exactly yeah. so so now we have uh, in theory on paper this is a great prospect and uh, your logical part of your brain and uh, you know your network your colleagues whatever they will all all tell you that this is is a good idea because on average it will work um but you still have a lot of fear um so i do think that the feeling of being scared the feeling of having to do something outside your comfort zone in order to engage in the project is for most people, uh, a very limiting factor. Um, and maybe for some people, that is actually the thing they need to address the most, even more than if they should produce the products in China or in Europe. You know, that can be mm -hmm. a tiny part of your, it will affect your cash flow, obviously, but uh, yeah. um, maybe it's far more important to work on yourself to dare to, to jump into these things, especially. If you're in your 30s or 40s, you're comfortable because you have a day-to-day -day job. You work from nine to five. You make, you know, a, a great salary. And uh, yeah, you just uh, you just need that extra little uh, uh, push to get out there. And most of the time, there will be nobody there to push you out other than yourself. So you need to, to train yourself for that. Like every muscle in your body whenever you go to the gym and do your bicep curls mm -hmm. i believe that we have these tiny mental muscles to to mm. look at them that way yeah that train and i have used that very consciously myself before expeditions to prepare for doing a lot of things that are very uncomfortable to most people and what opportunities do people miss uh due to yeah we, we have these blockers and barriers for ourselves so that we block our mindset yes so i i do think um also being a, you know having a master of science i i have uh, uh i'm very curious about the history of uh of humanity and mm -hmm. uh, 
especially Red Sapiens, wonderful book by Harari. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? Uh, no, I haven't. You you should put uh, put Sapiens high on your list, though. It's uh, it's a great book about uh, about uh, yeah uh, humanity's travel through times, basically, and how we ended up in the kind of world we have today. It's it's really and also look at uh, doesn't look only at history; it looks at biology as well. Um, and the more uh, I talk to people after after being on stage and talking about because what I talk about is setting and meeting goals, right? Uh, how can we set goals, and what can you do in your daily life to uh, increase the chance of actually reaching your goals? Mm. Thus, you know, all the the mental muscles and that training and and, and yes. things. And what I do talk about a bunch uh, is the biology of it, because. 10,000 years ago, you were incentivized to be risk averse, mm. extremely risk averse. Yeah. If you dared to fight the tiger, you know, I mean, of course, there was this tiny chance that you succeeded. You came home with a tiger head and you would be the, the chief of the tribe and have all the women and all the wine and everything. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time you would just get eaten and not pass it. <laughs> <laughs> run quick or die or yeah, yes, hide <laughs> exactly. uh, and even in camp even let's say in your tribe lived lived in some cave in the alps ten thousand yeah. years ago uh, right after the last ice age uh, there were mammoths right and you would not be incentivized to go outside the cave if you have if you had every resource you needed so as long as you have food your basic needs are intact you would just stay in that cave uh, almost forever and at some point you would run dry and you would start to get hungry and then your whole biological system would incentivize you strongly to get the hell out there and start hunting again yeah uh, so if you have food in your cave uh, it doesn't make sense to go outside and hunt uh, it's only when you run dry that that reward increases and even though the risk is the same all the time, the reward increases so increases so much that the expected value I talked about now it's suddenly boom net positive, and you yeah. have an incentive to go outside. Um, and what I do believe is a lot of the the challenge for people today is that we have no incentives anymore. You mm. never run dry. You're never hungry. Most people, if you are in a normal job. Um, if you're a part of Welfärdsstaten, you know, which we mm-hmm. have always, yes, our society, yeah, the care of us. yeah. exactly. The, the government take care, uh, takes care of you. It even provides education. If your mm. parents are totally screwed up and can't raise you in a, in a good way, even the government will, will take on uh, a lot of that responsibility. So there's a system that kind of, you know, guides you through life. Um, obviously, every person is very different from from uh, all the others. So, mm. I mean, everybody has their own challenges, but at least you have this massive support around you, mm. and you don't have to take risks anymore. You, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm simply saying you don't have to. You can just kind of. Uh, I like to think of it as just flowing through life. You're just mm. the wave of your country, your government. Uh, even if you are unemployed, you will you will get some minimum um, yearly salary that you can live uh, fairly well of. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything is relative, but you know, mm. you will probably live way better than half the population of our entire planet. You know, it's mm. kind of 
Um, so you're not incentivized to take risk anymore. And therefore, you never, ever have to um, go through that feeling of discomfort. Mm. Because obviously, I do strongly believe that the, the guys in the cave 10,000 years ago, when they were super hungry, like I said, it, now it suddenly mm. makes sense to go outside and hunt. Doesn't mean they like to go outside and hunt. I mm. guess they were totally filled up with fear and they would look behind them every corner looking for the, you know, the, the snow line lurking there and uh, mm. trying to ambush them on their way to the mammoth hunt. But they simply had to do it. There was no other way. Um, and it makes sense for them to do it. And even they didn't have a... Um, uh, I, I don't have a great way to formulate it, but I, I guess I want to say something like those guys didn't have um, a hard mental challenge going outside to hunt. Mm. Because all their instincts told them that they had to just do it. Yeah. Now we live in a world where actually if you want great success, if mm. you want to achieve something that most people don't, if you want to create value for the society, mm. Uh, your instincts, your cells, uh, and your DNA will never, ever tell you to do it. You have to go all the way yourself. And that's the hard part. And that's why, on average, most people don't make it. It's, it's difficult to do change um, yes. because it's connected to this. Uh, yeah, it's uh, safe in the cave and uh, stay there in, instead of go out and hunt lions. Uh, what can we do to to make change uh, easier? Um, it's it's a very good question, and yeah. uh, uh, I try uh, to think of it as like training your body, going to the gym, um, mm. because even in this society where everything is uh, is kind of uh, I was gonna say given by birth, you know, but in a way it is. Right, we have this crazy well-established uh, established system mm. that provides a lot of your necessities. And then uh, even with that system, we are all faced with some big crisis uh, during our lifetime. I have, I have yet to meet a person that has been entirely in that flow zone the entire uh, life. You know, uh, even if you try to avoid all risk, your parents will will uh, at some point maybe get sick. Maybe mm. you have cancer uh, close in your family, even your spouse, uh, or God forbid your your children. You know, um, maybe you end up um, investing a lot right before a financial crisis. Even you did uh, a lot of uh, well made calculations and great decisions. You were just very unlucky. Of course, this can happen to everybody. So. Um, those moments I like to think about like going to the gym and taking a very, very heavy squat. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs to do a couple of these crazy as heavy squats during their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Whether they want to or not, they just have to do it. And um, when you get to that squat rack, if you have never touched the bar in your life, you're going to have a very hard time. And you're going to do so much more time to recover afterwards. Mm. So if you already know when you're 10 years old that sometimes during your lifetime, it doesn't know if it's when you're 20 or 30 or 50, you're going to have to squat this crazy ass weight. You should start lifting. You should start 
to do these these tiny weightlifting sessions during the week. And you don't perform them in order um, because it's some some success or accomplishment of lifting um, a light weight several times a week. You do it only to prepare you for those big ones. Yeah. That's why I do think it's important to go to step outside your comfort zone, also mm. in just these tiny parts of your life in your daily life. Um, you know, it, it can be an easy example as just if you like me, I love ice cream, you know, so mm. I work out and in the evening, me and Yannick and my uh, my girlfriend, we have dinner. And then it's so tempting to go to the fridge and and make a big bowl of ice cream with chocolate sauce on. And of course, I I I, I usually do. Um, but some days I can also tell myself, not today. It's mm. not gonna happen. Um, I want to eat the ice cream. It's not that I'm a beast. I I shouldn't have it because of my health or something. I can easily give myself the ice cream if I want to. But I can also just choose to to train my mind a little bit that day. And choose not to take it and it's not uh so rewarding not to eat the ice cream that's not the point of it the point of it is to slowly but surely build these mental muscles so mm. that when for example we bought our we, we bought, recently bought a secondary apartment just to mm-hmm. rent out, um which i hope to be a great investment for the future uh but it was very scary i was a lot afraid during that that period because now the you know the whole real estate market is really turbulent recession in the in the world the interest (laughs) rates are going up and a young couple you know and you know this might in the worst case scenario give me put me back years you know um but in order to have the the guts to actually invest in that real piece of real estate I have to not eat ice cream someday. (laughs) That allows me versus a lot of people to investment. That's at least the way I think of it. I'm not not trying to be be arrogant or something, of course. I'm I'm simply trying to to show that I do believe those tiny things is very important for whenever you want to make a big decision. And I do believe it's very relevant for the decision of, uh, for example, quitting your job, starting a company, or trying to invent something, to create something from scratch that only you have ownership to, or you and your small team. That is um, that is like squatting a very heavy load, you know, because it's uh, it's also um, not some something most people in society do. So you are you're in, on thin ice when you do that. Have you um, uh, met an uh, entrepreneur, uh, yeah, one person that had a very good success with your yeah, metaphor with building the body in the gym? Yeah. Yeah. I met a, a bunch of interesting people at Startup Extreme, obviously. It was a mm-hmm. great Yeah. Um, and I know some um, some entrepreneurs from in the past as well um especially there's one friend of mine she she has made her own successful company now in in oslo uh with an app Mm -hmm. and um she had a very interesting take on it which i love Uh, i think it's a great mindset for every uh every starting entrepreneur to have um and she said when you look at statistics uh and whenever you 
want to go out and start your own company. And society and all the naysayers and the haters, they will try to tell you that, look at the statistics. Um, I'm not sure exactly of the numbers, but it's something like nine out of 10 companies fail or whatever in the first six months, whatever. Mm. Well, let's assume it's something like that. And her mindset was that, yeah, sure, the the company, you know, the, the organization number might be formally bankrupt, uh, but you shouldn't look at that data. You should rather look at the person behind that company. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't matter how many failures you have during your entire career because you only need to succeed one time. Yeah. If you look at that number instead, which I unfortunately I don't have, but for me, it's it's more important a metaphor because if it drives you in your daily life and motivates you, you will get the work done. And I then believe you will at some point succeed no matter how long it takes. Mm. So her mindset was that instead of looking at how many six month year old startup fail, startups fail, she would rather just see the person behind. If you are consistent, if you are determined and you never give up, you can you can fail with you know four or five maybe more companies but eventually you will succeed and you only have to do that one time um, I, th- I think it's some sort of mindset to as an entrepreneur to to test one idea start a company it's failure you start with next idea go uh, with a new failure to have that um yeah uh, that you are patient it's yes. not easy to find the right idea. You you need to do like hundreds of ideas to, to find one, the one uh, that is uh, very, very successful. Uh, so it that is some sort of um, uh, personality, something in that person and mentality uh, that make them successful. To do 10 failures or 100 failures, Yes. You need just something. never give up, refuse to yeah. give up. Yeah. Yep. And, um, and I do think that is, of course, uh, it has something to do with personality as well. But I do think the ability to not give up, to put it that way, mm-hmm. your mental toughness, yeah. uh, if, if failure breaks you or makes you, uh, it's, it's a lot determined by uh, how many hours have you spent training your mind for this? And mm. then I'm talking about um, not eating that ice cream. But of course, you have to, at some point, you should build it much bigger than just not eating ice cream because that's a very tiny thing. And whenever I'm out running, for example, which is one of my favorite ways to to exercise my body, yeah, uh, not every workout. Many workouts are very slow and very easy, but some workouts when when my my trainer says I should go as hard as I can for a short period of time, it's hundred <laughs> percent a mental workout for me as well because it's so painful that every cell in my body screams that I have to stop. And even though I've done this so many times in my life, it's it's the same amount of freaking pain every time. <laughs> I have this strong urge to quit every time, but the whole mental workout is in. And not quitting and just having some grit and, and biting my teeth. And I I feel it at least for myself, you know, never, I have never started a company, but when I talk about, uh, when I think about, for example, the apartment I, I described, we, we mm. bought, it's the same 
uh, it's the same mental muscles. It's exactly yeah. the same pattern that yeah. when I'm out running, something is painful. You start to sweat. And this is kind of, it's it's crazy. You know, you, your body tells you to shut down, but you go through it. And when I do that three times a week and my my real estate agent comes in and says, you know, here is actually the contract. Today is mm. the you sign. There is no freaking way you can back out of this now. <laughs> now it's too late. It goes up to 15. You're going to be totally screwed and annihilated. Yeah. Many, yeah. many years to come. Um, I get the same response, you know, shivers down my spine. Every cell on my body tells me, you know, this is freaking crazy. I can't sign this paper. But I have been training my mind to just go through it anyway and and do it. Um, and I'm not saying you should do that to, to do stupid things. Everything, of course, um, needs to have some, some reasonable logic behind it. Like, for example, when you push yourself during a hard run, you know the research. You, mm. The chance of, of dying from a stroke because you run too fast is very, very, very low. And yeah. the health benefits are enormous. So yeah, this absolutely. is for me one of those things that everybody knows running is good for you. You, you can't mm. just come here and start to argue that it's not good. Everybody knows <laughs> what is a smart thing to do and not. So it, it's not about finding out what is a good idea. It's about actually having the mental muscles to push the good idea through and making it a reality. But now I'm a bit curious. I have been a, a running coach uh, for a while, a professional yeah. running coach. Yes, great. Uh, or, That's earlier, a great example. <laughs> earlier in my career. But uh, sometimes it is this with the motivation. How can we motivate people to do things when they like to be comfortable? It's easy to uh, sit in the cave or eat ice cream home and not stop. Uh, do you have any tips, Thomas? Yeah, and, and that's uh, you, to the you, audience here. That's the that's the difficult part. Why do they uh, leave the, the the couch and uh, yeah, yeah, increase their mental muscles? Um, it's actually um, I do believe that in this entire framework we have been discussing, yeah. it's the hardest question for me to answer. It's it's the best one. It's like the the core of the whole thing, right? With yes, the, uh... the source of the whole framework in a sense. So um, so why bother to do anything? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question because if that is not clear to people, if people don't have a clear answer to that question, um, I don't have a good reason, you know, that then, then it doesn't make sense to go outside your cave. If you are truly in the cave and you are truly comfortable and you do believe that running is the worst thing you can possibly do because you totally hate it everything is painful um it's very very difficult but um i i do have one technique that has helped some people at least and that is to try when we talked about this expected value thing Mm. you can blow that up bigger and bigger and bigger into Mm -hmm. the future time horizon and that for for a lot of people can help. It that has helped me tremendously. Because if you look at the decisions you do in one single day, and let's assume we're looking at the expected value for the next three hours, let's say. Mm. So you go for a run, 90 minutes. It's going to be painful for 50% of those three hours. And then you come home, you spend you know 20 minutes, shower, changing clothes, whatever. 
and then you may have your dinner and ice cream. And even though the dinner after a, a good run, for me, it's one of the most beautiful things in the world because it, it's, <laughs> everything just is better after I've been working out. The, the carbs and them. Yeah, the food. carbs, the clear don't mind. I actually, I came right before this podcast, I'd done a two hour um, bicycle trip outside. So I'm going to, nice. you know, now, even though it's just noon, I'm going to go up and make some chicken and rice and <laughs> really enjoy myself <laughs> after this podcast. It's the best part of the day. But anyway, um, let's say that you, on top of this, you are not used to running. You don't like it that much. You don't get that endorphin rush that most mm-hmm. professional runners do. So even though the dinner part of those three hours is great, it can't outweigh the 90 minutes of of pure hatred when you're running. Mm. Um, And that's why people don't do it. Because if you look at those three hours, the expected value is negative. Mm. So of course you you don't want to do it. Um, But then my mental exercise is to try to blow up this time frame a little bit. And I really do mean blow it up. I'm talking Mm. months and years. Mm. And even though it doesn't make sense for you to work out every day for three months to do your first marathon because you, you're like, I don't care about that marathon. You just have to blow it up even bigger and realize that you are going to die someday. You're going to die when you're, let's say, from the Western part of the world, you're 80-something years old, mm. and uh, and that's it. Um, mm. It seems very far into the future. It's very kind of abstract. But if you really sit down, and uh, even maybe you should even talk to old people, talk to people in their 80s about their life, about their regrets, about how their last two decades have been um, in terms of uh, um, based on their previous life, you know, their successes, their relationships, their children, all that stuff. Um, you will see regrets and you mm. will slowly but surely understand that you can optimize those last 20 years by investing now and and if you then don't start running and make it your lifestyle let's say maybe that is the difference between having uh, very bad health when you're 60 years old and having great health when you're 60 years old Mm. um and the more you dig into that i do believe you will always be able to find uh, a net positive expected value there somewhere um, if you if you blow this time horizon up enough, uh, it will always make sense to do work, uh, to put it that way, to do work. Mm. Um, and also try to back this up with research. For example, yeah. if you're aimless, if you don't have any goals uh, and don't have a strong uh, feeling of meaning in your day-to-day life when you wake up in the morning, mm. you're just... I'm sorry to break it to you, but statistically are much more prone to depression and low quality of life later on. Um, it's much better to uh, to be proactive then and to say that even though I don't like running, um, I should just do it because it will pay off for me uh, much more in a positive way than the little feeling of discomfort I have right now. Um, mm-hmm. And... Hopefully, for some people, that is enough. That is the the trigger they need. Um, And unfortunately, also research indicates that you are more motivated by avoiding uh, negative things 
than receiving positive things. Yeah, I heard so, that. Yeah. So I actually, uh, unfortunately, sometimes kind of urge people to look at the horrible sides, the worst case scenario sides of what they're doing um, or or what they're not doing. So let's say you're not running, you know, you have X percent chance of, of having a heart attack when you're 60. Mm. Let's admit that totally um, by running every day, for example. Um, and there is one more aspect to it as well. And that is that some activities that is very painful to do in your daily life will just get better and better and better the more you do it. Mm. Uh, and that is a great mindset to have also, because even though running might be very tough, it's a great example. Most people, you know, they would go out and they would hate it. Uh, try to motivate with the carrot saying that, um, if you just do this every day or every three, every second day, whatever, mm, two or three times a week. Point, like for me, you know, it's it's uh, adrenaline, endorphine. Uh, it's a bunch of positive hormones, and after a workout, I I honestly feel great. Mm. I honestly feel great, and life is great. And then you can both have the mental upside of doing the run and the physical upside of being in shape and having a body that works and. Uh, and suddenly you have removed every negative aspect of the activity. Yeah. It's a total no-brainer to do. It doesn't cost you anything. And it's a habit you have formed that you can just perform for the rest of your life. It's uh, Then you have really made it a no-brainer. And that's the place you want to be. Awesome. I love what you tell now. Uh, this is amazing. We can create better futures for ourselves, uh, for our organizations, uh, and yeah, a better world with uh, this uh, mindset uh, and what we have discussed in this conversation. How do you learn best? The short answer, I, I would say I'm a, I'm a guy who learns by doing. Um, yes. I have to try things. And, uh, and uh, I guess I learned the most when, when things doesn't work, because then you, you need to go down to the, uh, with pen and paper and, and try to come up with, with some, uh, some new attempt, some new idea that will make it work. Right. So, uh, so I'm, I'm a doer. I'm the guy who, uh, even though I love math, I've never read a single math book in my life. So instead I would, you know, go up to the professor and ask him questions after the mm -hmm. lecture and try to focus on the understanding of things, mm -hmm. not just, uh, you know, uh, just uh, on your final exam, uh, I find a bunch of students, they have read 3000 pages and they're just <laughs> vomiting all that back up on yeah. their feet. You know? yeah. um, and they might get some, some answers correctly and, and some they will answer wrong, but uh, Still, they're just kind of um, a bunch of students haven't necessarily understood the principles behind. Mm. They have simply um, taught themselves all the patterns, mm. all the different methods and the patterns and the, the systems. Um, but what I really think is exciting is not to, uh, to replicate other people's systems, but to create new systems. Mm. Awesome. Want to create new systems, you have to train your mind to understand the principles uh, and focus on those instead of just understanding the patterns and the data, for example, or whatever it is. 
I love your method. Uh, go and speak to to persons that have the knowledge. Uh, it's it's like a shortcut when you drop three thousand pages and uh, do it in your way. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Plus the bonus is that I've saved so many hours. Not really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> well, I <think> sure. <laughs> Maybe I do the both. Uh, read all the pages and uh, speak to people. So yeah, but it's very time consuming. But I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I like reading, of course, but not math books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my desk now is Atomic Habits. It's also really good books. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Atomic Habits. That uh, I haven't started that yet, but uh, I will uh, read that uh, as well soon. If you summarize one or two uh, takeaways from this conversation. Yeah, first of all, thanks for a great talk. This turned turned out great. We've been uh, through a bunch of different cool topics here. So uh, Yeah, no preparations so at uh, all from yeah, you and me. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this um, is fantastic. Of... Fearless. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> become fearless. Yeah, that must be one. Yeah, <laughs> I sure. love that. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Thomas. <clears throat> I guess, like, yeah, um, it, it's difficult to draw out one thing, but but at least, um, whenever you have the feeling of being um, outside your comfort zone, or you know, you're standing right before a decision that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, try to think that doing that uncomfortable thing um, doesn't only need to reward you right here and now, but it's simply uh, a training exercise for your ability to go outside your comfort zone, which you can apply when it really matters. Uh, when you are going to take the big step, you're considering quitting your job and making it yourself on your own, or you're considering moving to a, a new city to try a new job, or you're considering actually, like me now, 28 years old, uh, I'm scared to death thinking about uh, marrying Yannick and starting a family and having kids and stuff. It's it, That's for me crazy to think about. But uh, to make a decision like that, I have to train these mental muscles in my daily life. Either mm -hmm. it's running or it's in <clears throat> business, it's in, in what I do on stage as a corporate speaker, whatever it is, I have to be freaking out for that mm -hmm. oh thank you thomas and uh, you told me you made a lot of interesting things this summer is it something you want to share with the audience it is wonderful to to speak to you today and uh, yeah i heard what you made <laughs> thank you yeah I, I could do that um so what I what I do find very interesting to to push myself kind of my arena to do all the things we have talked about. I do think everybody should kind of find their arena to to push their comfort zone uh, with people they love and and the way I have tried to do that is through uh, as an adventure, right? So I, I go abroad, I go on big expeditions, and this summer I actually did two expeditions. So first I went to Pakistan into Himalayas. And me and my Norwegian climbing partner, we attempted to climb the highest unclimbed peak on the planet, actually. It's called Mushushish. It's not very well known, but it's uh, it's not too short either. It's seven and a half thousand meters high. And unfortunately, we didn't succeed. Um, you can succeed every time. So, But even though it was, uh, in that regard, a failure, I don't see it as a failure at all. At all. I see it as a 
uh, a great opportunity that we took and it has opened so many doors and learned so many things about ourselves and our our abilities for future projects together. And after that, I flew straight over to Alaska with Yannicke, my girlfriend, and we have been, until recently, just been totally uh, on our own in the true wilderness of Alaska, just hunting and uh, fishing and um, actually uh, trying to harvest most of the, the food we ate from nature itself. And uh, we even en encountered some grizzly bears along the way. So that was a pretty sick trip eventually. So, um, <laughs> so now I have uh, officially had a grizzly bear within, um, yeah, like seven, eight meters from me. And I had to do a warning shot with my shotgun. Uh, and <laughs> ran away, wow. So. <laughs> been a wild summer it's good, were good you afraid <laughs> then i was also afraid yes <laughs> you were. that was a risk <laughs> yes yeah, but was, worth uh... it still positive expected value what a great trip so. <laughs> <laughs> i really love when you told me you you learn from your failures and yeah you have a mindset that accept failures it's the audience here that listen to us today you have much to learn here from from thomas uh, and uh, this uh, story so thomas do you have any next uh, to do um yeah um so I just, uh, I slowly fall more and more in love with this corporate speaking thing, which is very oh. new to me. I, I used to have a, we have been talking a bunch about nine to five job today. I used to have one of those yeah. right after I graduated. Yeah. It's only three years ago now. Uh, so I spent uh, 18 months in the shipping industry of Norway. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, I, I really love my job. No, nothing bad to say about my my job position or employer at all. But the the yeah, I mean, talking about mindset, it was kind of a more fixed mindset. It was like being inside the cave, to put it that way. Mm. It's mm. A eight to four, very fixed. Yeah, a very fixed frame where I I couldn't just go and 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 go for a run if it stopped raining, for example. Mm. You know, all these tiny things. The lack of flexibility, that was for me kind of maybe the main reason I wanted to uh, to try to make it on my own. And now I have, and I love it. I love my job and my my new life being on stage. So um, so my next now will be to do just more of that. Um, mm -hmm. Try to inspire as many people as possible and to try to, to grow this mindset out into the population. That's what I really want. Um, and on the side, I'll just do as many adventures as I can. I'm really into paragliding these days. So so maybe I'll do a big paragliding competition eventually. So I'm kind of training for that. But uh, other than that, just trying to yeah smell the flowers and enjoy <laughs> the great weather outside. Yeah. <laughs> You are really an ex I from from my perspective, I say you are like an extreme sporter. You do a lot of uh, things that I see in a scare. Yeah, I'm afraid to do a lot of. It's time to round up, uh, Thomas. How can the audience reach you? Ah, um, good question. So most of my life uh, through social media is on Instagram. Uh, my handle there is just my name, Thomas Lone. L-O-N-E. Um, and I post a lot of stuff there. Otherwise, you can find me on LinkedIn with the same name. Um, and I do have a web page. So that's Thomas Lone, like my name, and then .no. So the Norwegian, it's a Norwegian website, yes. Perfect. Thank you for an awesome time with you today, Thomas. Likewise. Thank you. It's been great.
Du har lyssnat på EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd producerad av Snabbfoting. Vi är ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Besök oss på snabbfoting.se för att läsa mer om framtidens lärande.